The scripture for today's sermon comes from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 10. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established his justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. This is God's word to us. Well, uh, for years, Advent was something that was confusing to me. I wasn't raised in church, and even after I, I became a believer, and even after I was working at a church, I was at a church that didn't talk about Advent. It wasn't a part of regular discussion, and so Advent was a confusing thing to me, and, and on, honestly, I joke about this, but it was kind of like like the church just wanted to get in on the 12 days of Christmas type of thing. It's like, hey, how do we get in on this? It's, it looks fun to sing about the 12 days of Christmas, so what can we do to be a part of all that? And, and so I, I think it's safe to say I missed the point of Advent, right? I was, I was slightly confused of all of that. I had all sorts of things in my life, but like one of the things that was clear is I missed the point of Advent. Uh, and maybe that's you. Maybe Advent has been something that's like this weird, confusing puzzle, even if you've been coming to church for a while, like, wait, why, why do we do this? Why, why do we use this word when we don't use it in other times and other ways? Maybe uh, like me at different points in life, it was like, uh, I was just confused about a lot of things in the Bible. We were, we're now reading in a passage from Isaiah, which is uh, just on its own a challenging passage to read. It's a challenging section of Scripture to read, uh, and that can be confusing. Maybe, maybe you are here and you felt like, hey, I just, I'm confused by the whole thing of Scripture. Or maybe you're here and you feel like you've been uh, drugged here. <laughs> Somebody just kind of drug you into this place. Maybe, maybe you're here and you feel like really beaten and broken down. And you're just like desperate. And, and I, don't, I don't really know what condition you're in this morning. I, I, don't, I don't know what condition you woke up this morning or what condition you've been living in this morning. But what, I, what my prayer is for you and for me is that none of us would miss the point of what God wants to say. In that just as over the years, God has done some sweet things in my life through Advent 
and through his promises of scripture, I pray this morning that God would do something sweet in your life, that he has something particular for you through the word of God today. Will you pray with me? Father, we need you. We need you. None of us need another church service. None of us need another, like, just pump me up. Or sometimes we can go to church and just feel beat up. Not one of us need that, God. We need the spirit of the living God to meet us today. And we pray that you would do what only you can do is, is heal the broken places. Heal the broken places. Bring life where there is death. And bring hope where there is hopelessness. And so we ask that you'd meet us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I, I want to do a couple things today as we step into this text. I want to use our time in two ways. I want to I set our focus and uh, hopefully set our course. Course particularly for the next week as we march towards Christmas and, and we keep walking in this Advent season. But uh, I want to set our focus and our, set our course. But th- we don't just live here between now and Christmas, right? Uh, there's 365 days. We're hoping to set a, a focus and a course that moves past Advent and into all of life. And here's, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to ask two questions. There's just going to be two terms. What is our focus? And the question I'm going to ask is, where is our heart? Because where our heart is is where our focus goes, right? That's, that is what our focus goes to. I love that, and so I make time for that. I fix my eyes on that. And the second question around where is my hope? Where is my hope? That, that helps us to set the course. Where we're replacing our hope is where our, our actions take us. Our, our hope is here. And, like, and so that sets a course. That sets a, tra- a trajectory. And we want to pay attention to those two things. And so the word of God is challenging you and me. It challenges uh, everyone who would read this throughout history. These words from Isaiah are challenging for the original hearers and for us. And it challenges us throughout history to ask, where is your heart? What's your heart attached to? And so read these first few verses with me. Again, Lord, give us fresh eyes, fresh ears. Help us to see this as you have given it to us. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He'll not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He'll not grow grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands. Wait for his law. So we come to this and we... We read a passage here, and there's all sorts of imagery happening, and it's kind of like putting together a puzzle, right? You get a puzzle, and you start putting it together. What do we do? You, if you, you do this, and it's Christmas season, so there's a lot of puzzles out. You start looking for the edges, and you're looking, okay, I need some straight pieces to kind of make sense out of this. I'm looking for corners, and I'm looking for straight pieces, and that's kind of what we're doing here. We need to, we need to get context, and we need to get an understanding uh, of the text, and, and so let me just give you a couple corners. A couple corners here. Uh, the first one is this behold. 
Behold becomes very important for us. It's really important to understand the text because it frames up the beginning and the end of the section that we're in, in verse 1 and in verse 9. But it isn't just here. And what does behold mean? Behold is like, uh, not only do I see it, oftentimes we see things, but that I would actually like sit and marvel at it. That I would recognize that I would recognize there's something here that is important for us. And so beholding isn't always something great. Like, like the Lord's going to say behold around things that aren't great. Behold this. And, and what he's saying is, like, you need to fix your gaze on this for a purpose and for a reason. And so the Bible tells us behold. Behold what, though? Behold my servant, Behold something in particular. Don't just behold anything. Don't just find something shiny or beautiful or fun or valuable to behold. Behold my servant. And this is important for us as we start to get these corners because it starts to make sense out of something uh, because the peop- this is written, Isaiah is writing to the people of God, the people who are, are like, we are the people of the covenant of God who are no longer living in happy times. The book of Isaiah is written to an exiled people, a people who, from chapter 40 on, find themselves in a place called Babylon. They find themselves in a place surrounded by idols, surrounded by, like, hey, we'll worship anything and everything. We will worship anything and everything. We are going to place our hope in anything and everything right here. And you get this because 42, all of us are smart, and we recognize that 42 isn't the beginning of this story. Uh, It starts before here. 41 is God speaking to those idols of Babylon. So 42 is God saying to the people of God, behold my servant. Chapter 41 is God saying, like, behold. Verse 24 of chapter 41 says, behold, you are nothing. If you read that as if he's talking to you, you're going to read all this wrong. And so it's important for us to find these corners, right? Uh, behold, who are, who's supposed to behold? We're supposed to behold. And what are we supposed to behold? We're supposed to hold the servant because chapter 41 talks about, behold, this idol is nothing. It is nothing. It has no power. It is nothing. Verse 29 in chapter 41, verse 29 says, behold, you idol, you idol are a delusion. You're a delusion. You're, you are a fool. You're foolish in all of that. You're, you're just made up stuff is what God is saying to these idols. And then you get to chapter 42, verse 1, and God says, instead of saying, behold, this nothingness and this delusion, he says to the people of God, behold, my servant. You see, there's altogether different things. Don't behold nothingness or a delusion. Behold the servant of God. This becomes really important to us, and these are corners that we need to pay attention to of what's happening, but it's, behold isn't the only important word here because this phrase gets used three times in these first four verses. It says, like, justice. Justice comes up. My, behold my servant, and again and again, three times it says right here, the one who will bring justice. Now, justice is, 
is another one of those corners, right? Because all of us have in our bones, baked into us as image bearers of God. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're an image bearer of God, the creator who made you. And we have this longing in our, in our core for justice. For justice. We want this. We want this. This is important for us. But here is something. Justice... God's justice doesn't come through a program. God's justice doesn't come through a bureaucracy. God's justice comes through a person. A person. And, and you start getting the corners of this, right? A justice and a person. It's his servant here, and we're supposed to behold this. And you start getting an outline for what we're supposed to see. It's God's justice. A just world to Isaiah is a human society that is uh, as God intended it to be with no competing idols. No competing idols. And so injustice, injustice isn't some like political dysfunction. It, it isn't just a, some systemic problem. But injustice, injustice is a denial of God. In, injustice is a denial of the character of God, he, who, who he is. Injustice is a spiritual evil. And so the, the prophet Isaiah doesn't just say, hey, behold my servant, go figure it out who this is. It tells us the character of this servant, a character of God, an attribute of God, an, a, a, a character at the absolute core is that God isn't just like, he doesn't just do just things. God is just. He is just. And notice how he describes the servant. This is what we get in these first three or four verses right here. Uh, he's a tender servant. Behold this tender servant. The one who a bruised reed he will not break. The one who knows that this, is, this, one, is, this one is bruised. And to grab hold of a bruise doesn't do anything good. And so what are you with one that is bruised? He's it, tender. He's not going to break it. He's not going to cause more pain. But he's also patient. And our text tells us, behold, this one who, who is patient. He's a patient servant as well. He'll, it says in verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till when? Till he has established justice. Behold this tender, patient justice bringer. Behold this one, this person. But, but there's a problem right here, and you feel it as well. Whether you could name it right now or not, it's palpable. The tension is palpable. The issue is right before us, just as it was for the people in Isaiah's day. It's right there for all of us. We're called to behold this chosen servant, and instead we behold so many lesser things. We're called to behold the servant of God, and instead we fix our eyes and also our hearts 
on all sorts of other things that were never meant to save. You're never meant to save. You see, that, that is the problem. They were living in the place, uh, in an idolatrous culture. They were living all around, surrounded by all of this, and they were becoming consumed by it. And guess what? That's not just their problem. That's our problem. That's our problem. Because none of us live in the garden anymore. And as we talk about Advent being this time between the first coming in Christ and the second coming, the now and the not yet, we live in the heart of the now and the not yet, the place where there's still brokenness and sin, and yet God says, I have made a way for you. That's where we find ourselves in, in every single day I battle with my heart and my eyes going after other things, other things. You see, an idol is anything other than God that we see as essential to our peace, our self-image, our contentment, our sense of control. And it's often some good God-given thing that we've just placed ultimate meaning into. Work is a good thing, and yet so many of us think that work is our provider. Family is a God-given gift, and yet so many of us get our worth or our, our, our everything by what our family looks like or how our family's behaving on these things. Uh, our, our bank account is there as a blessing and for our good and for the good of others, and yet so many of us think if we just store up everything, that's where our hope is found. It's not just true of these people, and it's not just true of us. It's, it's fallen people. John Calvin describes people as idol factories. The heart is an idol factory. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would raise my hand to say, yes, that's true of me. Martin Luther puts it in another way. Martin Luther says, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that's really your God. That's really your God. Whatever you'd say, like, God, I... I I need this. I need this. This will make me happy. This will make me uh, feel better about myself. This will make me content, or this will, this will be everything, and then I can trust you, God. And the reality is, no, you won't. No, you won't, because you're placing your hope in other things. Your heart is set on other things. And so the text is bringing us back to this, like, this reality that, man, our root problem is not social. It's not, do I have enough facts? Do I never need another class on, on what it looks like to read the Bible or something? It's not, it's not even a moral problem. You're going to stumble and fall a hundred more times today. Our problem, is, our problem is that we continue to focus and fixate and let our hearts believe that other things our ultimate. We have an idol problem. So the question is, where's your heart? What are you beholding in the day-to-day? -day? You see, John Calvin uh, says it one way, and Martin Luther says it another. Chad Pucko would say, like, we practice daily what we really believe. We practice daily what we really believe, and we can say all sorts of other things, but we practice daily. We behold daily what we really believe. 
And I would say, like, in many times and in many ways, like, comfort has been an idol in my life. Some mythical number of having enough has been an idol in my life. Some, the, a mythical number that is ever-changing, right? It's always changing. It's because it's never enough. It's never enough. You know what it is? It's a delusion. It's a delusion. But I will behold those delusions. Maybe in your life it's respect, that someone would respect you, that people would put some respect on your name. And in some way, you stand up. Maybe it's family, and it looks a certain way, and it does this. I've seen people, I've probably felt it myself, in which there's times in which it's like, uh, kids' sports can be an idol. And you're like, man, my kids are going to be this, and they're going to get this, and all these things. And you're like, how crazy does that sound? And yet, go to a high school game. Go to a little league game. Man, we can make idols out of anything. We turn anything that was actually meant for our good. Kids sports is awesome. And yet we can just completely twist it into all sorts of things. Where is your heart? God's alternative to our idols is his servant. It's his servant. In the hard words of chapter 41, of nothing, this idol is nothing, this idol is nothing but a delusion. Those hard words of chapter 41 prepare us for 42, where he says, behold, my servant. What are you beholding, and where is your heart? Now, as we make this turn into the second question, in the second part, I just want to say, uh, these, these first four verses lead us to turn in the text now where God is, is speaking directly to his servant. We're not speaking to the people anymore. Now the next few verses are speaking to this servant that he's promised, the one that we're to be beholding. He's speaking here. And you've got to kind of strap on your grammar brain for a second. And that will help us. And it's not to like geek out over this. It's actually because maybe like me, you were confused by Advent and you were confused by the big story of the Bible for so long. And God simply doesn't want us to be confused. And, and simply recognizing through grammar brain kind of the subject and the predicate of these sentences, the subject, who is this about? And who is the act, who is doing the action? A predicate is the verb of this generally. And so like who is doing the action in these next words matter because it comes down to certain things. And my kids will ask me all, this all the time. Can I do this? And you know, that smart aleck grammar answer of like, I don't know, can you? I don't know, can you? Can is ability and may is permission. Let's geek out on some grammar here for a second. It's important as we read this to recognize who has the ability to do what is promised here and who does not. Who does not. Okay, so read it with me. We'll pick it up in verse six. I am the Lord. Grammar brain, click in. I have called you, servant of God, in righteousness. And I will take you by the hand and keep you. I, I, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Now he goes on. Why is he giving it? Why is 
this one giving this servant as a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind. Open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now, catch this. Who is... who? Who's sitting in darkness? Who is in the prison? But the people who are foolishly giving their lives to nothing in delusions. Those, those who are worshiping idols when the living God is right before them offering everything that they need. Who is in the dungeon? Who is in the prison? Who needs light shining on those moments? But those who have been bruised and busted up by sin and and all sorts of horrible things in this world, but by the idols who tell a story that could never satisfy because it's nothing. He says, I am the Lord, verse 8. That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. See, this God doesn't want us to be confused. He tells us right here, he doesn't want you just to be staggering around in the dark. He says, behold my servant. Behold my servant. And so the word of God is challenging you and I and everyone who would read this text to ask, where is my hope? Where is your hope? We've already seen that that God's justice will be brought through a person. And now as the text shifts, the the subject and the predicates become so important to our understanding. Who is the subject? God. And who is doing all the work? God. It's God who gives a servant. It's God who empowers the servant. It's God who's doing the work in all of it. It's God's answer to all of our longings, all of our inability All of our inability is his tender, patient. And now what we get right here is his powerful and able servant. In all the ways that you and I are not able, God's servant is. In all the areas where you think, I can't fix this, God. I desperately need you to show up. He says, behold my servant. In all the areas in which you feel like it's coming apart at the seams, God says, behold my servant. He says, I will take you by the hand and keep you. He says, this this servant, he's got, he's got a hold of. I'll take you by the hand. I'm the Lord. My glory I give to no other. He He says, through this servant, he makes a covenant with us. He makes a covenant with us. He says, through this servant, his people will glorify him alone. You see, it's his servant is our hope. His servant is the one that we're to behold. His his servant, tender, patient, powerful, and able. This one 
Here's why this is important. Because you and I, at different points in different ways, try to bring justice to things around us, right? We try. <laughs> and listen, there's beauty to that. I'm not, I'm not putting all that down. But we need to recognize that none of us, not you, not me, are able to bring perfect justice. You and I try to bring peace to those around us. We should. We should be. The Bible tells us to be peacemakers. We should try to be bring, bringers of peace. But not, not one of us is able to bring perfect peace. You and I try to bring hope and joy and life to those around us. You might be the loudest one at the party. You might be all of those things. But not one of us can bring real hope and joy and peace that is lasting on, on the dark days. And let me dig one level deeper, one level deeper, because it isn't just that we're not able to bring justice or peace or any of these types of things. You and I weren't intended to, but you and I, at different times and in different ways, in, in ways loud and in ways quiet, we try to cover our sin. We try to make ourselves right before God. Or maybe, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you're experiencing this today. You and I try to, like, this shame I feel, I'm just going to kind of get rid of it. And, friends, you are not able. You're not able to deal with your shame. You're not able to deal with your guilt. And you're not able to deal with your sin. You're not intended to. But his servant is. It's his servant who is able, who is made away. You see, Advent isn't some exercise in us like reciting certain days and saying certain things and having certain candles and things. Advent wasn't given to us. Like, Jesus didn't come to give us Advent. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to give us uh, certain songs and celebrations. Jesus came to rescue sinners. And Advent helps us to see that. Advent helps us to see that. Behold his servant. Servant of God. The one who takes all of our bruises and our brokenness, our flickerings and our weakness, all that we carry and all that we, we could name and things that we couldn't even name, he is able to bring peace and hope and joy and life to all of us. If you're one of those that are familiar with church and regular with church, you're, and again, hear me, I'm, like, you're, you're someone who's been around church for a while and stuff. Sometimes you're like, oh, I know that story. I know all these types of things. Hear the words of Isaiah that says, behold my servant. This is not a one-time deal. This is an everyday thing. This isn't praying a prayer and hopefully you meant it enough and you, you had all this stuff. This is an everyday thing thing that we behold the servant. Otherwise, we start to look at nothing in delusions and think those will save us. 
This is a line that, that Isaiah is putting down. He's saying, don't just put my servant on the shelf and say, look, I've got that. I do this. I know this one. Uh, here it is. This is a part of my life. Now we can go on and do our things. No, he's saying, behold, put it right before you. This is life, and this is where your hope is found, right before you. Don't just talk about it, but step into this moment. And if, if you would say, I'm not even sure I believe any of this. The words of Isaiah say, what are you putting your hope in and where is your heart? If it's not my servant, you're fooling yourself. It's a delusion. It's nothing. See, I, I think so many of us are like distracted drivers. We're like distracted drivers. We're like endlessly scrolling drivers. You've been next to them in traffic. I, don't, I would assume none of you have ever been a distracted driver. So. Like, but you've been next to them. And, so, and, and I find my own heart distracted in so many ways in, in which we have the creator of the universe, the perfect and holy father whose best is best, right here saying, like, behold my servant, the one who will hold you tenderly, the one who will meet all of your needs. Behold my servant. And so often you and I are like, no, I know the way, God. I've got this. I've got this figured out. And here's, here's the deal. We just kind of go about our business in this. And yet to be a scrolling, distracted driver at best is to, like, miss your exit and kind of, like, weave across life, semi-chaotic, and at worst could lead to death. I think there's so many people that have played games with Jesus and said, oh, I know you, yeah, I, I know you, I, I hear that, I hear all that stuff, and we've never actually trusted and beheld the servant of God. And so I, I, I leave you with three things. The very next verse Verse 10 starts, and it doesn't just say, hey, behold, the servant, he does great things. It actually says, sing a new song. Sing a new song. It says, live differently because of this. And so, friends, let me give you three quick things in how to live differently right here. Examine the course of your life. Where is your hope? Where, what is the course and trajectory of your life? Because just one degree off here will lead you someplace far, far away from your destination and where you hope it is. What is, examine the course of your life. Don't examine whether you said the right thing on the right day or something. Examine the course of your day-to-day -day life because we practice daily what we really believe. And you may actually be believing in idols far more than you believe in the living God. Secondly, secondly, move, move with intentionality towards this servant. It doesn't happen by accident. <laughs> like fixing your eyes on him, beholding his servant doesn't happen by accident. You know what happens by accident? Me beholding all sorts of other things. That happens by accident. It's with intentionality that we lean into his servant. And finally, none of this makes any sense if you're not actually going to behold. Behold Jesus. This one given to us. The reason for the season. Jesus, the sent one, servant of God. Will you bow your heads with me?